So in my uh, New Year devotions, I'm, I've begun reading this, which is uh, Reading Between the Lines, the Old Testament volume by a man called Glenn Scrivener, who's an uh, evangelist, lives in Eastbourne on the south coast. Uh, and it's short daily readings from the Old Testament that point you to Jesus. There's also a New Testament volume that's excellent, very, very good, highly recommended. Uh, but on day one of this volume one, <coughs> he writes this. He says, on January the 1st, the whole world wants to be new. The magazines and the TV scream at us, new year, new you. So how do you feel about the new year? Are you ready to turn over a new leaf? Or are you dreading another year of the same old, same old? And then he says, as we consider the new beginnings we should make, our plans and our priorities must take their cue from God's agenda. So that's what we're going to hopefully do this morning from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We're going to pause the, the kind of the new beginnings and the New Year's resolutions that we might make on our own, that we might resolve to do and explore what God has from us for us from his word this morning. And I also have to say that not only has Glenn Scrivener helped me uh, think this through a little bit, but I've been reading a short book by a Puritan guy called John Flavel, uh, and it was, it's called Keeping the Heart, and it's a, sh it's a really short book. It's available for free in a PDF version online that you can find it, and I'd highly recommend it to you if you can read it. It's 54 pages. There's some old English language because he was a Puritan. He lived in the 1600s, but it's an excellent, excellent book as you think about the start of the new year. It's called Keeping the Heart, John Flavel. Okay, this is God's word now. Verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Or if you're reading an NIV, perhaps it would be this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And whatever translation you use or you read, you will find that the, this verse carries the idea of the necessity of protecting and guarding one's heart. Now, in 2021, heart can mean so many different things. Usually it means sort of the, the, the emotions and the feelings that you have, and we wear our heart on our sleeves so people just know what we feel all the time. Um, but John Flavel, in his book, says that Proverbs 20... Uh, Four, verse 23, is a metaphor. The word heart is a metaphor. It's to be taken more generally to describe the whole soul or the inner man, the inner person. And he says what the heart is to the body, that central pumping station that keeps you alive and going, so that the soul is to the man or woman. And the Bible tells us that the heart is really what is inside you. It includes your emotions and your feelings, but it also includes your inward thoughts and your convictions it's the wellspring, it's the centre of our lives. Wayne Gruden defines it as the sum of your entire inward, moral and spiritual life. That's what the Bible talks about when it's getting to our heart. It's the source of all our vital operations, Flavel says. Now the context of this verse in chapter 4 is there's a father, Solomon the king, giving advice to his son. So this is fatherly advice to a son. This father Solomon, who has lived many years, who's got lots of life experience, is now trying to pass on some nuggets of wisdom 
to his son. And so he's basically saying in chapter four, son, I've lived a bit of life. This is how life works. Now, make sure you guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. And what we're going to discover in this one verse is that the keeping of our hearts in their right condition before God is the important business of every day for every Christian. The keeping of our hearts in right condition before God is one of the great businesses of every day for every Christian. We've just got three simple questions to try and get our head around one verse. All right, three questions that will form our three points this morning. So firstly, what does it mean to keep your heart? Secondly, why do we need to keep our hearts? And then thirdly, how do we keep our hearts? So what, why, and how? So let's begin with that first question. What does it mean to keep your heart? So let me ask you a a more basic question. When you left your house this morning, did you lock the front door? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, we're all safety conscious. Good. You can speak. It could be two-way participation. When you left your car in the car park, did you leave the windows and doors open? No. No. Why are we all sat here in masks and socially distanced and protecting ourselves? Because we're concerned about our health. We guard, we protect, and we keep that which is precious and valuable to us, whether they be our homes or our cars, our money, our possessions, our health, the things that we cherish that are of sentimental value to us. That's why when there's floods on the TV that are reported on the TV, people have moved all of their keepsakes and their sentimental things upstairs, haven't they, to protect them. We protect our children and our grandchildren. And here in Proverbs 4, verse 23, the Solomon, the writer of of this particular proverb, makes an emphatic statement. In the Hebrew, it's very emphatic. It literally says this. If you were to translate it out of the Hebrew, it it would say, above all other guarding, guard your heart. Or keep with all keeping your heart. So more than all the other guarding and protecting and keeping and vigilance that we exercise and all of the other things that are precious to us, that are valuable to us, Solomon here tells us to keep and guard and protect our hearts. Now to do that, it presupposes that there is a work of gracious regeneration in our hearts, which has set them right and has given us as believers new spiritual life and a new spiritual inclination. We're to guard what God has done. Where once we were by nature objects of wrath, we were rebellious creatures who opposed our maker. We were hostile in our minds and doing evil deeds, as Paul writes in Colossians. We were, we were lost in kind of a, a wonder and love and a praise of self. Now God has, through his gospel and through his saviour Jesus Christ, raised us to new life and exchanged our once dead and hard and stony hearts for living new hearts of flesh. And we're to guard those hearts. Through the regenerating work of the Spirit, we've been given new hearts. Hearts that have been set right from the disorder of sin. And we're to keep them with all vigilance. The self-dependence that we once practiced has been replaced by faith in God. The self-love with which we loved ourselves has been replaced by love for God and his people. The self-will that put ourselves and our desires at the centre of our lives has been replaced by obedience to God. The self-seeking has been replaced by picking up our cross and carrying it in self-denial. Self-worship should have been replaced by worship of the true God. Our darkened understandings have been illuminated. Our rebellious appetite for sin is gradually being conquered. 
and our sin-ravaged souls and lives have by grace been redeemed and reconciled and restored. And so we're to keep our hearts now with spirit-empowered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. We are to keep our hearts in, in, in two things. That really means it means we're to carefully pre- preserve and protect our hearts from sin, which disorders it and throws it off course again. And we're to maintain the fitness of our hearts so, so that we can enjoy a life of communion with God, walking by the Spirit keeping in step with the gospel. John Flavel in his book likens the heart to a musical instrument, like a guitar, an acoustic guitar, uh, not an electric piano, but something like an acoustic guitar that you tune, and he says, upon regeneration and salvation, God has tuned our guitar, our our musical instrument, in, in tune with his ways and his will. And yet, as we walk the course of life with remaining sin still affecting us, because we still live in this world, we get bumped And the guitar or the musical instrument goes out of tune. And keeping our hearts is retuning it on a daily basis. Keeping it in tune. Retuning it whenever it's been bumped. And the writer of Proverbs here says, with all diligence, with all, more than all other guarding that we do, we must guard and keep our hearts. So as we step into 2021... God says to us from his word that we should make the condition of our hearts before him and towards him of more concern than anything else. So why should we keep our hearts? Having just briefly, and we can only do this briefly in a few minutes, look at what it means to keep our hearts. Why should we keep it? Well, there's a, there's a few reasons, and let me start with the broader picture of Scripture, if I can, before we narrow into what Solomon says specifically in verse 23. Think about the broadest picture of Scripture for a moment. Throughout Scripture, God shows us that he is more concerned about the state of people's inner lives, inner souls, inner man, inner hearts, than he is about anything else. So if you go even back to Genesis 1 and 2, when God makes Adam and Eve and he puts them into Eden, he, he basically, he tests their hearts. He says, you can have everything except fruit from the one tree. Because he wants to know whether their hearts are for him or against him. He wants, them to, he wants to know whether they're going to be faithful and obedient to his word and not eat of the tree. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve disobeyed and their hearts are turned away from God. You move on a few years, Genesis 6 verse 5, and God looks down on the earth and he sees that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so God brings judgment in the flood whilst rescuing Noah and his family. And the rest of the Old Testament is this search for a man who has a pure heart, who would be the serpent crusher, who would save God's people. And so Saul is anointed king, uh, but his heart was not right before God. So Samuel writes in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance of his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Then God replaced Saul with David, a man who he said was a man after his own heart. And yet David's heart was not pure because he sinned with Bathsheba. And he knew it. 
In Psalm 51, he cries out to God for mercy and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Then Solomon replaces David, but in 1 Kings 11 verse 4, we find, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Then 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, the Lord prophesies, the Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Then Jeremiah 31, 33, where the prophet Jeremiah says that there is a day coming, a day of hope where God will redeem deceitful hearts that he, that he highlights in Jeremiah 17. And then in Jeremiah 31, he says there's a day coming when God will write his law on the hearts of his people. Then you fast forward into the New Testament and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Right the way through the Bible, God is concerned about the condition of the human heart. It's extremely important to him, more than anything else. And of course, the, the Bible culminates, the story culminates in Jesus, who was a truer king than Saul, who, was, who had a heart that was purer than David's, who was wiser than Solomon, who perfectly lived a righteous life and was the one in whom the Father delighted, who then laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for sins to rescue rebellious sinners like you and me and to make us alive and to give us those new hearts that the Old Testament looked forward to. And now every single one of us who has been united to Christ by faith finds that we are joined to him and our hearts have been made alive and have been cleansed through his shed blood. So that the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews 10.22 would say we can draw near with confidence because our hearts have been sprinkled clean through his blood. And although they're not yet perfect, there is a day coming that we can look forward to where we shall see our Saviour face to face. And as 1 John uh, chapter 2, I think it says, when we see him, we shall be like him and our hearts will be changed forever. But until that moment, we're to guard our hearts with all vigilance. Back to verse 23, Solomon says, guard your hearts, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. In asking us to guard our hearts, it implies that we're constantly under attack. It implies that we live in a combat zone where someone is out to capture our hearts. Unfortunately, many of us live oblivious to the reality of this war, but we must recognize that we have an enemy who is bent on our destruction, who is seeking to entice us, who not only opposes God, but opposes everything that is aligned and united with Christ and God, including us. And the enemy can use all kinds of weapons to attack us and to try and uh, capture our hearts. It could be the lies that we believe that rob us of our security and our assurance and our stability and our peace and our joy in Jesus. It could be the circumstances of life that we experience that lead to disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment. It could be the persecutions that we suffer or the worldly cares and the seductions that are presented to us that entice us and can lead us astray. John Flavel says this, we must guard against being miserably entangled in the wilderness of trifles. 
I think that's great. I mean, it's old. That's such old English language, isn't it? And he's not thinking about strawberry trifle with custard. I think the trifles of life. We must guard ourselves against being miserably entangled in the wilderness of trifles. For the result is that our zeal declines, our love for God wanes, our joy evaporates, and our hope is misplaced. Charles Bridges, a 19th century pastor and theologian, writes about this text, Above all else, exhorts the wise man, guard your heart. For the heart is man's citadel, the centre of his dearest treasure. And if the citadel is taken, the whole town will surrender. If the heart is captured, the whole man, the affections, the desires, the motives and the pursuits will be handed over. Therefore, above all else, guard your heart. So as we step into 2021, let's be aware of the attacks that could come against us. They might not seem like attacks. They might just be things that we face, but they might affect our hearts. It might be friends that turn against us. It might be financial setbacks that we experience. It might be illnesses that we suffer. It might be difficulties with our children or with our in-laws. It might be temptations to do wrong for the sake of gain. Will we guard our hearts with all vigilance? Because from it, he says, flows the springs of life. We need to guard our hearts because our our lives, our very lives, flow out of our hearts. Who we are and our hearts, is, our hearts are the source of who we are. Everything about us and everything we do in life flows from our hearts. Our heart overflows into thoughts and words and actions. Jesus makes this point, doesn't he, in Luke chapter 6 verse 45 where he says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He makes the same point in Mark 7, 20 to 23, which we haven't got time for. So the Bible tells us, and specifically here in verse 23, there is an undeniable link between our hearts and our behavior in our lives. Our inward life, what goes on in our hearts, will determine our outward life and the course of our days. And the quality of our inward moral and spiritual life will impact those around us. It'll impact us and it'll impact those around us. This year we will be bumped. The musical instrument that God has tuned will be bumped. Will we retune it? When something happens that we didn't expect, when someone bumps into us in the wrong way, our response reveals what's in our hearts. And Solomon here tells us we must guard our hearts. If we want to live a life pleasing to God, if we want to live a life of love towards others, we must guard our hearts above all other guarding. For out of the heart comes the outpourings and the outgoings of our lives. You know, we could be so right in our doctrine. We could have uh, uh, a sound theology. We could have perfect interpretation of the Bible in our heads. But if our hearts are not right before God. If our hearts are full of pride or anger or bitterness or fear, that will come out more than what's in our heads. Or put it the other way. Think about those people that are so full of Jesus, that love to talk about Jesus, that love to that encourage you, that build you up, that edify you, that pray with you, that strengthen you, that support you. Don't you just want to be with them all the time? 
Because their hearts are full of Jesus, it pours out of them and you want to be with them and around them. What goes on in our hearts will impact those around us. Good hearts produce good fruit. Bad hearts produce bad fruit. And so the Bible here is telling us why we must keep our hearts with all vigilance. Because from it flows the wellsprings of life. Now thirdly and finally, how do we keep our hearts? How do we keep our hearts? Well, if you're watching this or you're listening to this or you're here and you're not yet a Christian, this there's a first step to keeping our hearts and that is to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour for the forgiveness of your sins and he will cleanse your heart in an instant and make you new and alive and give you his Holy Spirit so that you can keep your heart. And if that's you and you don't know Jesus and you want to talk to someone, please contact us or talk to a friend who shared this link with you or invited you this morning. We'd be delighted to do that because you can't do this because keeping your heart is more than just a self-improvement exercise. Guarding is, is God's command to us and he gives us the grace of his Holy Spirit to protect us from sin, to help us in the battle and to strengthen our resolve. Now, how? How do we do it? Well, I've just got two broad categories and then I thought it would be good for us to discuss this in group this week. But two broad categories. Number one, if we're going to guard our hearts, we must ensure that we do not pollute our hearts. It would be foolish for us to try and guard our hearts and yet at some point pollute our hearts. Do not let this world pollute our hearts hearts this year. Pollution comes in so many forms, media, books, internet, newspapers, magazines, music, relationships that we're, we're into that can lead us into sin. So let's just ask ourselves a question. What might be the things that we might look at, that we might expose ourselves to, that will affect our hearts and influence us and might cause us to wander away and our hearts to go astray? Let's evaluate the patterns and the habits of our lifestyles. Let's say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. Let's put off the old self and put on the new self and pursue Christ-likeness. Now, pollution can come in so many different forms. There's obvious forms and there's subtle forms. But think about it for yourselves. What is it that pollutes or has the potential to pollute your heart? And then be radical about er eradicating that. Second broad category is this. Practice the spiritual disciplines. I mean, I wish I could give you, you know, in some ways that sounds, well, that's ridiculous. What a, what a lame thing. But that is where the spiritual power is. In God's spirit, through God's spirit, in God's word. The spiritual disciplines are so important. Practice the old-fashioned means of grace. Regularly read your Bible. Commit to memorizing some of it. David says in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Then pray it back to the Lord. Pray scripture. Pray about your needs. Pray about our concerns. Pray about those temptations that pollute us. And ask him for his spirit to help us. 
You could throw in fasting. You could throw in evangelism. These are all means of grace. Obedience, the fellowship of God's people, corporate worship. Practice the spiritual disciplines. You could discuss that, I'm sure, in group this week. But Solomon gives us a command and it implies a question. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Will you do that? Will I do that this year? To close the words of John Flavel, he says this. And now are you inclined to undertake the business of keeping your heart? Are you resolved upon it? I charge you then to engage in it earnestly. Away with every cowardly feeling and make up your mind to encounter difficulties. Draw your armour from the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in its commands, in its promises, in its threatenings or, or warnings. Let it be fixed in your understanding, in your memory, in your conscience and in your affections. You must learn to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, familiarly. If you would defend your heart and conquer your enemies. You must call yourself to frequent account. Examine yourself as in the presence of the all-seeing God. Bring your conscience, as it were, to the bar of judgment. And these things you must undertake in the strength of Christ with, with invincible resolution in the outset. And if you thus engage in this great work, be assured that you will not spend your strength for naught. Comforts which you never felt or thought will flow in upon you from every side. And when you have kept your heart with all diligence for a little while, when you have fought the battles of this spiritual warfare, gained the ascendancy over the corruptions within, and vanquished the enemies without, then God will open the gate of heaven to you and give you the portion which is promised to them that overcome. So awake then this moment, get the world under your feet, pant not for the things which a man may have and eternally lose his soul, but bless God that you may have his service here and the glory hereafter which he appoints to his chosen.